Stroud watching for the end zone. Jump ball. Touchdown, Smith and Jigba. Are you kidding me? Fourth and five, the national championship on the line right here. He's going for the corner. The country road sure took West Virginia home after a wild backyard brawl last Thursday night. And it started as a stormy day in Columbus, but there wasn't a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow in the shoe for the Irish. Playoff expansion is officially coming, so stay with us to find out all the details as we discuss if it's a good move for the sport. Blake Biscardi with you alongside Dave Wertheim. This is the Saturday Cadence Podcast, and what an epic weekend of college football. Arguably the, arguably the best week one in recent memory. We've got a loaded show for you today, and after a weekend full of good news and football to digest. So let's get right into it. Dave, welcome. How are you feeling? It was an awesome week one. Couldn't ask for much more from the noon games all the way through the nightcaps. It was uh, a really good weekend of football and, and should be a fun season to come. I thought so, too. And even having those great games on Thursday night was huge for the sport. I mean, we got five straight days of really epic games. Yeah. None of the days really disappointed. Yeah, I thought uh, that that Sunday, LSU, Florida State, oh man, that was just a, what an epic football game. I know, I, I could not believe what I was watching. Florida State goes up by two scores, and the whole game, you're just watching it, and just wondering like, man, is Florida State really going to pull this off? Is this what LSU is going to look like under Brian Kelly in week one? You know, just like all those things running through your head, and then they're finally going to do it. And then the last three minutes, you see the muffed punt again. Then there was a fumble at the inside the goal. I mean, just unbelievable football all the way to the last play with the block extra point i mean that wow just it, I, I was speechless watching it i really was I, I couldn't believe how the last three minutes turned out it was it was a really fun football game down there i know i'm with you I actually yelled after they blocked the extra point i was just like he blocked it i i literally just couldn't believe it was just of course it happened you know it was just like one of those but of course yeah yeah and uh, did you see before we get into some real talk here did you see brian kelly in his press conference today uh, made fun of a reporter for being late, and the and the reporter wisely cracked back. He said, uh, "Maybe if you win, I'll show up on time." I thought that was uh, pretty funny there. I, no, I did see that too, and I was like, "Man, taking shots at Brian Kelly already." He's yeah. not like a mid-major head coach. He's a he's one of the elite coaches that we have in the sport. Just for the media to take shot like Baton Rouge is different. Like those, yeah. they have high expectations. Yeah, I mean he's he's been a winner at several different schools before. Um, but, you know, LSU and the SEC, they kind of need that instant gratification and certainly didn't didn't do it against uh, Florida State. Big win for Mike Norvell, though. It was. Yeah, I think it's going to be great for their recruiting. Their line play looked a lot better, especially defensively, adding verse out of the transfer portal. I mean, I, I was really pleased to see that style of play from a Florida State. It's another team that's always great to have good for the sport. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, speaking of wild finishes, though, how about North Carolina and Appalachian State? Did you see that game at all? I did. That was a fun one. Appalachian State, what, 40 points in the fourth quarter? 40 points in the fourth quarter. I would love to know if anyone has ever scored 40 points in the fourth quarter and then lost. I mean, that was another back and forth. You just could not imagine what happened in the fourth quarter. Then it's just one thing after another. Yeah, and honestly, I was pretty impressed by the quarterback play in that game. You got Drake May, uh, whose brother, of course, was a great basketball player there. Um, you had 
Chase Bryce on the other side. Trevor Lawrence is back up. Then he was at Duke for a while. Now he's at Appalachian State. Really good quarterback play in that game, and I'm excited to watch those guys this year. No, me too. I mean, Drake Meg, maybe he plays himself into a Heisman conversation somehow just with those numbers if he can sustain that. But uh, Mac Brown definitely has to get that defense shirt up. But just kind of seeing how both of those teams played, Appalachian State goes to Texas A&M this week, and I, that's that's a game I'm watching just because A&M didn't really impress me at all against Sam Houston State. They struggled moving the ball here and there. And Appalachian State's one of those teams where if you put them on your non-conference schedule, you just kind of wake up and you're like, man, we got to play Appalachian State. They're, you can never be at peace playing them because you never know what's going to happen. No, the, the reputation is there since they beat Michigan about 10 years ago. Um, and for Appalachian State, this is a really big game for their program. You know, they almost pulled it out last week. They get another chance. People were hyping them up coming into the year as a popular upset pick, especially in that week one game against North Carolina. Um, so I'm interested to see how Chase Bryce does um, once again, playing a power five team. And, and we'll see if Appalachian State can keep this one close. Yeah, for sure. And just kind of on the note of Saturdays and watching all the games, I just want to kind of give a, a brief segment of letting the listeners get to know us a little bit. So what what do you love most about college football? And if it's a Saturday or whatever day college football is on, mostly Saturdays, how do you best like to spend a Saturday? Yeah, so my favorite part about college football is 100% the tradition. Um, I like those schools that have a rich tradition. Obviously, uh, Ohio State is where I, I went to school and graduated. Um, so I was immersed in the tradition up there for four years. Um, you know, programs like Notre Dame, USC, even Michigan, um, Nebraska, those are the kind of teams, you, you know, that have been around a long time. They've been good for a long time, and they all have their unique traditions, uh, Texas, Wisconsin you know, kind of the same way. Every school does its own thing, its own way. And that's what I really like. You don't see that at the professional level. Of course, you got some traditions, you know, the Lambo leap and things like that. And, you know, I always picture that the apple rising in center field at, uh, at Shea Stadium and things like that, that, that are almost seem more of like a novelty than they do a real tradition. Um, so I think, uh, I think that's what I like most about college football. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I absolutely love the passion, the pageantry, the tradition, the rivalries. Just, I mean, I grew up in the Midwest and it's the same thing as you. I mean, you're just immersed in that tradition. College football is, you know how they say it's different in the South. It's college football just in general. You just feel it. It's more of like almost a religion type than just a, oh, hey, I'm going to watch a game. It it never disappoints you. And then you have games like the Rose Bowl, just all the the tradition and the history in those stadiums and all the greats that have gone through there. It, it really, it's just one of the, it is the best sport to me. And I personally just love all of that tradition. I mean, you see like the rivalries between Oklahoma and Texas and then Auburn and Alabama. And they're like, oh, that's going to Army Navy. That's going to rival Ohio State Michigan for the best rivalry. I mean, to me, I grew up in Ohio, but undeniably Ohio State Michigan is the best rivalry in all of sports. And the games just feel different. The air is different. And again, it's not something you see in professional sports at all. No, and you even have some states without professional sports like Alabama, Mississippi, you know, those kind of states that don't really have anybody to root for. You know, they've got their regional ties, uh, but it's not the same as having those teams in state um, to root for and, and cheer for. And you're right, it is almost like a religion. I mean, it really is for some of these. Um, even look at, um, you know, a Kentucky or somewhere like that, that just lives and dies no matter how good the team is. They're going to show up. Uh, they're going to, you know, watch the game every single week no matter what um and so that's 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 pretty much it i mean i mean college football is just a league of its own 
Yeah, I agree with you. And, and I'm out here in the Philadelphia area, and it's obviously it's more of a, a pro city for sure uh, with the Eagles. I mean, there's Penn State fans around. You have Rutgers is in close proximity and Maryland as well. But primarily college sports wise, you root for Penn State or Notre Dame. And I had a friend text me. He's trying to get into watching college football more. And I kind of gave him like the lowdown on last week. You know, hey, here, watch these games. Utah and Florida was one of them. And he texted me after. He's like, bro, I thought Utah was supposed to be good. And I just, he's like, they lost to an unranked team. And I just responded, I was like, that's the beauty of college football. It's like the swamp playing there at night, those environments that it's completely different than professional sports. I mean, those stadiums can be raucous and loud in the NFL, but it's absolutely nothing like a rocking atmosphere in college football. No, I, it's, it's just a special thing. And, you know, one of those games last week that we thought was going to be a big one, um, but didn't really end up turning out to be was that Georgia-Oregon game. Georgia absolutely blasting the Ducks as Dan Lanning returns to face his old boss and just gets thumped. Uh, your thoughts on that game? I actually couldn't believe it. And how I like to spend a college football Saturday is just kind of sitting on the couch just watching and digesting the games. I mean, especially when my team's playing, that those three and a half hours, that's blocked off. Like, I'm busy for those those hour allotments for every week. But this Saturday, I actually got to sit down and watch the noon games to the nightcap. And Georgia and Oregon, I was absolutely stunned to see how Oregon came out. They looked kind of flat. They didn't look ready to go. Bo Nix, I believed in, and I feel embarrassed for having hope in him last week after seeing his performance because he's played Georgia now. That'll be his third game. And it was the same story each time. Georgia did not skip a beat. I was very impressed by uh, their level of play, especially on offense. Stetson Bennett led a dynamic offense. It looked better than their offense last year. And there's not a better tight end group in the country, in my opinion. No, absolutely. I mean, when you have that many matchup nightmares, it's it's going to be a problem for opposing defenses. And obviously, Georgia has stacked the cupboard over the last couple of years. They've brought in a lot of talented recruits, a lot of five-star high-rated guys, um, and they're all getting on the field now. And, and as long as this recruiting run continues, it seems like Kirby's got a good development plan set in. Um, so I, I don't see Georgia really going anywhere. Um, interested to see how Bennett holds up the rest of the season. Obviously, he was a hero from last year. Good start, uh, but the knocks, you know, are, are never going to go away with him, uh, no matter how many times he really proves people wrong. So uh, we'll see how they handle the rest of the SEC on their way, likely back to face Alabama again in the SEC title game. Yeah, and I mean, the defense played really well. They played complimentary football. But do you think Stetson Bennett can play himself into the Heisman conversation? I know after week one, you have all these stats, like you said, with May from North Carolina, like he put up great numbers. Anthony Richardson at Florida had a great game. You know, like, oh, Heisman, Heisman. Is Stetson Bennett worth Heisman talk? I think a lot of the Heisman finalists end up being the best players from the best teams. Uh, we've seen that over the last couple of years. Uh, you know, last year, for example, Stroud, Young. Um, and then you get a guy every once in a while mixed in like Kenny Pickett, uh, you know, from a smaller school, who put up big numbers, uh, still in a power five conference. But there's no reason why Bennett can't do it. If he's the best player on the best team, you know, he's just got to be the best player on the best team. Um, so we'll see if he can keep that up through the full season. And, and if, if he does, I don't see any reason why he can't end up as a finalist. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I was impressed. He was in command of the offense. I mean, his completion percentage was, I think adjusted. It was 93%. It's just unbelievable for a ranked game. And maybe Oregon was one of those teams that was overhyped. And I mean, you can say now that they were, but still it's what, what Georgia did to Oregon was nothing short of impressive and they deserve to move up to number two in the uh, AP poll, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. When you shellac a ranked team like that, it's 
you know, if Ohio State had beat Notre Dame by that score, then, you know, you probably keep them at number two, maybe even jump to number one. But uh, I think it's fair that Georgia's number two right now. Me too, especially because Alabama last year at one, we, we know the product that they're going to give on the field. And then Georgia had some question marks coming in this year with, can they reload? Are they in that class with Alabama and Ohio State where they can just reload and reinsert someone into those positions and not skip a beat? And it's clear that they are. And they're the defending champions. So I have no problem with them jumping Ohio State despite the top five win. And I think Ohio State won in an impressive fashion. I mean, I don't know if last year's Ohio State team would have won that game to grind it out. I mean, the way both lines were playing, especially late in the game, that 14-play, 95-yard drive that took seven minutes and ended in a touchdown, was it was majestic. It was the best drive I've seen from an Ohio State football team in the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, it really felt satisfying. Um, as you're watching it, you know, I, I was – I don't want to say nervous at any point in the game. Um, I was pretty confident that Ohio State was going to win, but I didn't think they were going to win it like that. I thought the offense was going to start humming. You know, they would end up with something like a 31-24 victory or something like that. Uh, but that didn't happen. You know, the offense got it going there at the end, uh, but for, you know, just about three quarters, they really struggled. I mean, it was the defense and the toughness uh, of the offensive line and the running game that ended up winning it for Ohio State. Uh, which is something that that we haven't really seen in a very long time. Yeah, and I know Jackson Smith and Jacob got hurt on about Ohio State's fifth play from scrimmage, and it's never a good thing for a player to get injured. But if we can take a silver lining from his absence in that game is if you make Ohio State one-dimensional last year where you take away their receivers, I know it was impossible to do, but hypothetically, if you could take away those receivers, they could not beat you running the football the way that they did. Physical, just ground and pound with defense and running the ball. But then this year, the offense was almost made one-dimensional because they were out of sync. They were out of rhythm. I mean, it's Marvin Harrison Jr. He's played in games. But that was really his first official start. I know he played in the Rose Bowl, but they were in a rhythm last year. I mean, that offense was not going to slow down in one game just because Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson didn't play. But this year, it's fresh. It's the first time him and Igbuka, like Igbuka could have sat in the soft spot of the zone. Um, down on the other end, where Stroud just missed him. And seeing Ohio State be able to just impose their will when Notre Dame knew they were going to run the football and still be able to do that and execute at a high level was impressive to me. And it's a good sign going forward for Ohio State that they are balanced and that they are back to that Ohio State brand. Well, I think a major problem from last year that a lot of people don't talk about was how Ohio State was playing four tackles on the offensive line. Um, they, they kicked Thayer Munford inside. They started Paris Johnson inside. Um, and I think that was a big problem. You can't really have four tackles on the offensive line, not only for technique purposes and scheme purposes and all that, but I think the mentality is different. You know, you saw Paris Johnson go out there and play left tackle and, and, and he was dominant. I mean, he really was. Um, and you saw the guys on the inside play well as well. Um, in the interior spots on the offensive line where they are accustomed to playing. Donovan Jackson was recruited as a guard. Matthew Jones has played guard and center at Ohio State for a long time now. Um, and you saw the ta both tackles play well. Dewan Jones was probably the weak link of the line on Saturday. He struggled to move a little bit and kind of catch up. Um, but the other four guys played really good football um, and allowed them to kind of impose their will there in the running game at the end. Yeah, Paris Johnson was one of my players of the game on the Ohio State offense. I know we had Mayan Williams. Every time he ran, it was like a business decision. I mean, he was just doing whatever he wanted. It was as physical as you could get for him running the ball. And Ibuka had uh, 90 yards and a touchdown. But, I mean, Paris Johnson, like you said, the offensive line was very impressive. They looked very good. And 
they gave Stroud good protection. And I, I like where the offensive line is trending now that everyone is back into their position because it was unorthodox last year to have uh, those four guys kind of out of position there. Yeah, it, it didn't seem to work at any point in the year. Um, the pass blocking held up just enough. They were pretty good at pass blocking, which is what you would expect from a tackle-oriented offensive line, but they couldn't run the ball. And like you said, it kept them one-dimensional. They were able to win a lot of shootouts. Um, but, you know, when they need to grind it out there against Michigan, for example, they just couldn't do it. They couldn't do it on defense. Um, and then the offense had to play catch up the whole game. Um, so winning this game in a grinded out fashion was pretty impressive. Yeah, I agree with you. And I know Notre Dame's offense was not very flashy and it's not one of the more dynamic in the country or anything. I mean, Buckner played very well, but is it too much to say that the silver bullets are back and they've answered every single question and that's all you need to see from them? Or do you still think that there's room to grow and improvement and it, it's maybe a little inflated just because of the style of Notre Dame's offense? Well, I think it proves they can be back, if nothing else. Um, you know, they, they really shut down Notre Dame for a lot of that game. Um, you got the early field goal, which came off a busted play. You had one touchdown drive, and that was it. Um, and, and to make – I wanted to point this out. Ohio State didn't have any turnovers, did they? No. Um, so that makes it even more impressive. It was just stop after stop after stop after stop. Um, and that was pretty impressive to me, the way that they were able to do that defensively. Um, I do want to see consistency because that's the key to being elite. Um, you go from good to elite with consistency. Um, so, you know, we'll see how the next couple of games go. It's obviously the lighter portion of their schedule, but then they get in a big 10 play right off the bat with Wisconsin. Um, and that'll be an interesting game to kind of see where Ohio state's defense is at as they enter conference. play. yeah, that's a game I have circled on, on my schedule for sure to see Ohio state's offense because they held Notre Dame to 72 yards in the second half and zero points. They pitched a shutout and, the defense looked as good as you could possibly be like, okay, this might be that top five defense that Jim Knowles was talking about. But again, it's the first game. There's a lot of overreaction into that. And Wisconsin's one team that's going to run that ball physically down your throat. That's what they want to do with Braylon Allen. He's a big back. He's very, very physical. And we'll see how the Ohio State linebackers can play. I mean, Tommy Eichenberg was phenomenal. And then Mike Hall on the line, and they were both exceptional during the game. And we're going to need – those repeat performances from guys like that uh, throughout the year, especially in big 10 play. Yeah. Those guys stepping up was huge for Ohio state. Um, and it was guys that had been talked about as being successful. Um, but I want to mention Notre Dame now, you know, this loss on their record, um, you know, probably doesn't kick them out yet, but you'd think if they lose one more time, they probably aren't going to make the college football playoff. Um, and that kind of goes into our next topic, which of course would be the big news about expansion this week. Um, you know, I want to start off the 12 teams, your thoughts on that, um, your thoughts on if a team like Notre Dame, you know, that could end up with two losses based on their tough schedule, you know, they got to play Clemson, uh, how a 12 team playoff might help them. If you think that's the right number, uh, you know, let's hear it. Personally, for me, I would have went with eight, but since we have 12, we'll talk about that. And I, I look at this in one of two ways. So more games are going to matter because we're going to get more football and more football is never necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I know you have the risk of injuries and all, but you're going to have more games matter, but some games are going to matter less. Like you said, in Notre Dame's case, they're playing Ohio State week one. Then this week coming up, we've got Alabama and Texas, right? Let's say all four of these teams are all playoff contenders. In today's format, Notre Dame might not be able to lose a second game or even this game in certain instances. 
and they're knocked out of the conversation. But now having that 12-team format, you're going to have Notre Dame still be alive. Or if when Texas loses this weekend, they could still be alive to get back to the playoffs. So I think from that standpoint, you're going to get a lot more of these high-powered marquee matchups early in the season because that risk factor is kind of eliminated or at least it's diminished from being eliminated from the playoff. Yeah, I think eventually what's going to happen is there's going to be these couple of super conferences and it's just going to work like the NFL. Um, you know, you're going to still have the 12 teams. You'll have six from each conference or whatever. It'll just be 40 or 50 teams um, of the, you know, the 40 or 50 best programs or, you know, the big 10 currently and the sec currently is probably where it's trending. Um, and I think the 12 team playoff is kind of a pre precursor to that um, just because it, it, it makes a lot of sense. Honestly, it makes a lot of sense to get conference champions in automatically. And it makes a lot of sense to reward these teams that have great seasons but are, you know, a game back. Like in the NFL, you can go nine and seven and make a wild card. And you see with a team like the Bengals, who went 10 and seven last year and ended up reaching the Super Bowl, uh, strange things like that can happen. And it just makes it more entertaining for the sport, I think. Yeah, I agree with you. And if you look, especially, I'll use the Rose Bowl as an example here. If you look in the Big Ten, a program like a Wisconsin or like an Iowa or a Michigan State, those teams that have those flashes of great seasons where they get to 11 and 12 wins every so often, but really play for a chance to go to the Rose Bowl. Like that's how they're measured. Same thing with those Pac-12 teams like a Washington or an Oregon or a UCLA. They're playing to be measured by the Rose Bowl. And now last year you had Ohio State go to the Rose Bowl and all of Buckeye Nation is like, it's the Rose Bowl. Like we're not in the playoffs, so it doesn't really matter. But it's still the Rose Bowl. You know what I mean? Like we talked about the history and the tradition and the pageantry and all of that stuff. The Rose Bowl is one one of the best games in all of sports, one of the most iconic venues, you know, I mean, I got a chance to go in urban Myers last game in 2018 against Washington. And I mean, you really just have to sit there and take it all in just because of everything that's in that stadium. And it really takes away from those types of games when you have situations like that. Yeah. I'm just glad there will be more meaningful football. That, that's all that really matters. And, and whether that's at the beginning of the season or at the end of the season, as long as it's there, you know, I'm still going to watch Ohio State Notre Dame, you know, in week one, regardless of how many teams are in the playoffs. They could all make the playoffs, and I'd still watch that game and be up for it and be passionate about it. Um, so I'm glad that there's going to be more meaningful football. Yeah, me too. And I just want to kind of get into the specifics of the format. So it's going to go from four teams to 12 by no later than 2026. It could happen as early as 2024, depending on the board of directors and how all of that plays out but it's going to be the sixth highest ranked conference champions. And then the next sixth highest ranked teams, the first four seeds will earn a first round buy, and then the first round games will also be played at the home sites. How do you feel about having the games on the college campuses? And then an addendum kind of to that is like, let's say for example, Ohio state is hosting a game as the five seed. They could designate to play in Lucas oil stadium just for player safety. How do you feel about, about the new format? First of all, I think if you have to play it on the home team's campus, you should play it on campus. It should be your your home stadium you've used all year. I don't – the Lucas Oil Stadium kind of takes the point away of that, you know. Like, that's probably where they'd play anyway if they weren't playing at Ohio Stadium, just based on how they always do it. A you know, Big Ten championship game is always there. Uh, they've had playoff games there. Um, so I think, uh, I think they should play it on a campus. But I like the format – um, I think it's fair that the top four teams get a first round by, you know, that's probably the big prize, the grand prize. And then the consolation prize is that you get to host a game. Um, 
and then you know the the thanks for playing uh, participation trophy, um, you know, goes to those bottom teams that are probably just going to be happy to be in. Yeah, I'm with you. There's something special about playing in your home stadium and just in all the iconic venues across college football. But then you bring a playoff atmosphere to that. Are you kidding me? It's going to be absolutely electric no matter where that game's played, whether it's in – imagine a whiteout in Happy Valley with a playoff on the line. And Georgia's coming up. You're bringing a team from the south into a whiteout when it's 30 degrees. And, I mean, it's absolute mayhem. That's incredible. around in Wisconsin. Yeah, exactly. Playoff game when LSU's in town. Right. Maybe not LSU with Brian Kelly, but some other team. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I think that would be absolutely incredible. And then is there a team that you think benefits the most from this new format? And then secondarily, do you think Notre Dame now has any incentive to join a conference whatsoever? To answer the first question, I think it's got to be whoever's like fifth in the SEC probably. Because, uh, you know, you're going to have the top two teams are going to get basically automatic bids. Um, and it seems like there's always an SEC team that's ranked around like 12th. So that team is probably going to be the most thankful. Um, there's been a lot of programs lately that have hovered around kind of that mark. Um, you look at a team like Penn state, who we just mentioned, seems like they're always in that range. Michigan was in that range for a while. Um, you know, even a team like Miami or Florida state, uh, and, and the re- new, you know, upcoming years, that's probably where they're going to start is in that range. Um, so I think those kind of teams, and even like a high group of five team now has to be like, you know, hey, we don't have to be like Cincinnati and, you know, finish fourth to get in. We can get in as a number 10 or a number 12. Um, so that'll be interesting to see if a group of five team can kind of sneak in like that. Yeah, I think so too. And I mean, this year, if you look at the landscape, I think BYU is the best group of five team. But yeah, before you had to do exactly what Cincinnati did. And for a group of five team, that's going to be really difficult to do, especially year in and year out, just to be in that conversation. So I think the expanded playoff is great for them and those types of teams. Well, um, you know, you, you look at it, the, what'd you say? The top six highest conference champions get. Yes. So you got the power five there and then you just got to be the best of the rest and you're in. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a pretty interesting wrinkle as well. You could even see two group of five teams. in if you could get one, you know, as an automatic bid conference champion, and then another one somehow sneaks into the top 12, you know, it's probably unlikely, but, but there's a chance at least. Yeah, I, I think so for sure. And one of the things, though, that I look at is, will this playoff give us any repeat games? And, I mean, I know that's going to be something that can upset a lot of people. Oh, we already saw this game. But, I mean, it's more college football. Can you imagine having the Iron Bowl happen again in the playoffs or having Ohio State and Michigan play in the playoffs? I mean, it would be unbelievable. We've seen Georgia-Alabama before. That was right. pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I think it's exciting to have that potential. I mean – you can take it as like, oh my gosh, I'm going to play our rival again. It's hard to beat a team twice. But I mean, the magnitude of that moment is it's going to create unparalleled environments. Yeah. No, I'm looking forward to that aspect. I think the new playoff is a good thing for the sport. Yeah, I'm with you. The more I think about it, I was anti-expansion at first because I like that scarcity that makes it exclusive that you have to earn your way there. But I mean, the more I think about it and actually have digested this over the weekend, I, I am for the expansion. I like the new format. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, so I know we mentioned Michigan um, over the last couple of minutes. They're still in a quarterback conundrum here. We're going to see J.J. McCarthy this week. Do you think he eventually wins the job, or do you think Jim Harbaugh continues to ride with Cade McNamara? I think it's McCarthy all the way. Um, You look at last week, the coaching staff kind of hung him out to dry there. Um, 
I think they wanted J.J. McCarthy to come in and succeed in that game, which he did as the backup, played really well coming in off the bench. Um, and now he's got a week against Hawaii where Michigan is 50-point favorites. Uh, so I think J.J. McCarthy is going to play well again, and Jim Harbaugh is going to say, hey, look, I'm riding the hot hand here, and J.J. McCarthy is going to start. Um, and it'll be interesting to see. I think uh, you told me before the show – Cade McNamara is a captain, so it'll be interesting to see how the locker room takes it. Um, you know, Cade could do one of two things. He could he could be like Kelly Bryant, um, you know, and transfer out um, midseason, or he could kind of ride with this and be like, hey, like, I'm here for the team. Um, and that could really spark their locker room if he kind of buys in. Yeah, I think it's a very pivotal decision for Jim Harbaugh, and I agree with you that J.J. McCarthy should be the guy, and I think he eventually will be. I think his style of play as a quarterback, his dual threat capabilities, they just give more options for the Michigan offense of what they can become. He, there's a lot more potential. The upside's higher of what they can do, especially knowing that their evaluator game is going to be in Columbus against Ohio State. They can get past Iowa. We saw they had to win with two safeties. I mean, what I don't understand first, just to rabbit trail for a minute, how did Iowa play the same football as North Carolina, like, how is that the same sport? It's unbelievable. And it just, it's just Iowa. I mean, it's just, they just do this. It seems like they do this all the time. Like I, if you had told me that a team won seven to three and had two safeties, I would have probably guessed that it would have been Iowa. I mean, that's, that's a fair point, but I just, I could not believe what I was seeing the box score. I, I don't like, get it either. It, it doesn't make sense how they continually do it. I, I just, it's baffling, honestly, but you kind of got to give them some credit for it. Yeah. I mean, it's the Kirk Ferentz way. It's the Brian Ferentz way. I mean, he's yeah. got good job security, but I just, man, it's how is it the same sport? But anyway, I digress. Yeah. Uh, back, back to Michigan. Iowa was the game I kind of looked at as like, all right, they've got to have it figured out by then. Well, not anymore. So regardless of who Michigan has a quarterback, they're still going to beat Iowa. And then now you just have to have everything figured out by Michigan state and Penn state for them. And I still think Michigan's going to be favored in those games. So by the time they play Ohio state and Columbus, that's going to be the game that, all right, what quarterback gives me the best chance to beat that team? And to me, that's J.J. McCarthy. Yeah, I think it is this year. I think last year McNamara was perfect, as we saw, because mm -hmm. uh, they kind of just ran it down Ohio State's throats and dinked and dunked and pushed their way down the field, and it worked out really well for them. Um, this year, I think they're going to need to do more than that. Yeah, McNamara is a great game manager, but this year I do agree that they're going to have to do more, especially because Ohio State has Jim Knowles, and as defensive coordinator, and just what he brings to the defense. I mean, we saw Notre Dame give Ohio State a bunch of different looks on defense, and they rolled with the two high safeties back there. Um, and Michigan did a lot of that last year with the multiple looks. But now that Ohio State actually has a real defense that is physical, I think that they have to go with McCarthy. Yeah, I think so too. And it'll be interesting to see how Harbaugh plays this. Um, I want to switch gears now, switch conferences a little bit. Uh, we saw Florida beat Utah, as you mentioned, um, you know, top 10 team coming in on the road and Florida really held their own and, and pulled it off. Uh, SEC East, you know, Georgia's probably right up there at the top and, and probably looking to run away with this thing, but could Florida make some noise in that conference and could they find themselves playing in a new year six game? I think they can for sure. I mean, I saw them vault all the way up to 12th in the AP poll, which I think is a bit high. If they, beat Kentucky this week and then in two weeks beat Tennessee. I can see him being in the top 10. I think it's a bit too premature to have them rank that high, but Anthony Richardson has a good upside. He played well 
and Billy Napier is still installing his offense. So Florida is going to continue to grow. They just got stuck with that gauntlet of a first four games where they've got Utah, Kentucky, a nobody, and then Tennessee. So if they can get past that at three and one, I think for sure they can make some noise in the SEC East and challenge Georgia with at least a, a competitive football game, but they can be on the borderline of that near six bowl. But that's also going to depend on a team like Texas A&M, like who's going to be that third or fourth best SEC team. And right. I think Florida is certainly in that conversation for third best. Yeah, I think, honestly, you look at a team like Arkansas who beat Cincinnati last weekend, um, another guy who's you know, really, really good at quarterback, K.J. Jefferson. Um, he really put his stamp on that game. Um, you got really good quarterback play in the SEC this year, which hasn't always happened. But, you know, you got Bryce Young, Stetson Bennett coming back, Richardson, um, K.J. Jefferson, and other guys throughout the conference that play really good football. And it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, Will Levis from Kentucky also coming in this week to, to play Florida and Anthony Richardson. So the SEC is going to be interesting. I think so, too. I mean, it's, it's very top-heavy with Alabama and Georgia. But underneath those two teams, I think it's wide open. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is, too. Um, like I said, I really like Arkansas. I thought that was a tough, grinded-out win. I think Sam Pittman is the perfect coach for them. Um, so, I, you know, after watching that game over the weekend, Cincinnati gave them a good shot, but Arkansas really hung in there and played well. So they're my pick for that third or fourth SEC team. I, I like that. And then speaking of just being wide open, the Pac-12, they they had a pretty tough weekend Yeah, between uh, Utah and Oregon. I mean, USC being that third best team, they hung 60-something points. But do you think, just given what you saw from Utah and Oregon, I know this is more week one overreaction, but college football is a sport of overreaction. Is USC a team that can win the Pac-12, given what you just saw from the other teams this weekend, oh, despite yeah. their yeah. deficiencies on defense? I think they, they still have the most talented roster. Um, Oregon probably rivals that, you know, is probably the closest team to that, but – they didn't look good at all. They're very far away. I don't think Bo Nix is very good. Um, there's a reason he really left Auburn and, and couldn't handle it there, despite all the family tradition and ties he had with that school. Um, so I think that USC can absolutely win, win the Pac-12 and make some noise and, and potentially sneak into the playoff as well. Um, just with that most talented roster, Lincoln Riley's got some momentum. Caleb Williams is a really good football player. Um, and they got Jordan Addison and some other guys helping him out down there. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, I mean, they go to Stanford this weekend, so that's a rivalry game. Stanford always plays physical football, so we'll kind of get a measurement of what USC's toughness is this weekend and kind of give us a better picture. But I'm with you. I think Lincoln Riley, we know he has that offense figured out, but I think he can kind of steal a first year here and get to the Pac-12 championship game and potentially win the conference, given what we just saw, especially because now it looks like with Utah, it's going to be everything's going to be riding on that game. Yeah, and Utah, if they wanted to make a statement, they needed to do it last weekend. Now, you know, they're probably going to be written off the whole rest of the year. Even if they beat USC, it'll just be – the narrative will be – I don't know if it's true, but the narrative will be uh, USC just isn't that good. Um, so I'm interested to see how that game goes um, and then the rest of the season. Right, because regardless of Florida was ranked playing Utah, I mean, you're beating an SEC team on the road at night in week one. That's going to be your marquee victory all season until you beat a ranked USC team. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm with you. I still think Utah could get to the playoff theoretically. I don't know how likely that is now that they lost that because they can run the table and a lot can happen between now and then because we have a full season in front of us. But I think it's an uphill battle for the Utes. Yeah, I think so too. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to say I told you so, but I do believe that I 
picked against the Utes in that game. So um, one point. <laughs> yeah, I ended up siding with you there. But another team I was looking forward to this year that I may have overvalued again just because of sheer roster talent is Clemson. And I saw them against Georgia Tech, and my eyes were not seeing the Clemson team I thought I was going to see. It looked like it just a carryover of last year with uh, DJU there. The offense, again, looked lethargic. How soon do you think Clemson starts Cade Klubnik, if at all? Do you think Debo Sweeney has in him to make that move again? Oh, yeah. I don't see why not. I mean, he did it once, and it worked out pretty well for him. Um, I don't see why you don't do it again. I mean, and that's honestly how it should be. The best player who gives you the best chance to win should start the football game. Um, and, and I wouldn't fault Dabo for, for putting Klubnik in. Um, I don't think he's going to make that move yet. I think DJ still got a few weeks. You know, it's week one. Um, they blew him out still, pulled away there at the end. Clemson's defense looked really good. You know, didn't miss a beat without Brent Venables. Um, but I think DJ still got a couple of weeks. And, and after watching them, I like them as a football team. Yeah, Klubnik, he just came in and he was very accurate. He brought a different energy to the team. Like, I know it was later in the game, but still, it's just that kind of stuff is noticed by the players. And, yeah, I think DJU gets a couple of weeks. But, I mean, once we get to that second week of October, if Clemson still looks like this, I would not be surprised at all ahead of the Notre Dame game if we see Klubnik uh, become the starter there because you do not want to waste a gem of a defense that you have right now. It's probably one of the best in the country, if not the best. Yeah, we'll see how many more reps he can get in. He obviously got some last weekend, but we'll see if they can kind of work him in slowly and then maybe they'll turn him loose. Yeah, and I know we touched on this game earlier, but just real quick, LSU, what are your expectations for the Tigers this year and just kind of Brian Kelly's tenure as a whole? I mean, that was just an unbelievable football game. Great to watch. Um, I think Brian Kelly is a not a good culture fit down there. I think we've seen it several times throughout the offseason. Again, today we mentioned the press conference with the reporter. doesn't seem like he's making many friends down there. Um, and the most glaring thing to me was not that they lost. It was how they lost. It was just mistake after mistake. Special teams, obviously, a big part of it. Uh, they kind of got bailed out there with a fumble. Really good drive there at the end to get into the end zone and set up a chance to tie the game and, and go into overtime. But um, – you just can't have things like that happen. That was just a miserable start. Probably almost the worst thing that could have happened to Brian Kelly. I think if he got blown out, he could have at least said, Hey, we're not there yet. Um, you know, losing a game like that is really tough. Yeah. I want to say two things to that. And Brian Kelly's halftime interview, he said, I don't know if we can play worse than we just did. Okay. Then you come out in the second half and you yeah. kind of literally fumble the game away. And I don't want to take anything away from Florida state when I say this, but LSU did not look polished. They didn't look clean. They did not help themselves win the game. They muffed two punts in really big situations. And they had a really bad targeting penalty. So it just was not the team you expected to see from Brian Kelly because of how good of a coach he is. You just don't expect to see those discipline uh, problems from there. I mean, if Brian Kelly got beat because the other team has better players, that's one thing. Because he just has to rebuild and re-recruit there and just kind of get LSU back on the map. I know they're not far from a national championship, but they lost that game more than Florida State won that game, if you're looking from an LSU perspective. Yeah, and it makes you wonder whether the players have really bought in yet. Because um, a lot of those penalties, like you said, you had the brutal targeting penalty that was you know, exactly by the book and, and was, should have never been made, obviously, by the player. Um, but then you had the things like dropping the punt, dropping another punt, 
missing an extra point, getting it blocked. I mean, it's just things that, you know, you would think with basic effort, these things just shouldn't happen, right? Yeah, I, I was surprised to see it continually happen. I mean, we saw it happen once and you're like, okay, then they missed a field goal and you're like, all right. And then we saw the same thing happen in the second half. And yeah, I just wonder if the players have brought it, bought in. And I wonder if it is a culture issue because it certainly seems like it. I mean, you had their best wide receiver, Kayshawn Booty. He had what, two catches for 20 yards with a minute to go in the game? I mean, you know, how are you not getting your best player the ball at all in the game? I right. think his first catch was like five minutes left in the game, period. Yeah, it, it was late. And then you have him after the game delete and remove all of the LSU material from yeah. his Instagram. So you cannot have that and then have to answer for it in your press conference after a reporter just told you off. I just, it's oil and water right now to me. Not good. It's not no. good. Yeah, but uh, let's move on to some picks here. We got a Tennessee and Pitt. Pitt came off the backyard brawl, big win. Tennessee with Hendon Hooker. They want to play electric fast offense. Tennessee's favored by six and a half. Who do you have? I'm taking Tennessee. I'm taking Tennessee. Uh, Pitt is Pitt, and they're going to put up 24 points, and it won't be enough, and Tennessee will win and cover. Yeah, I was back and forth on this game, and Pitt's coming off an emotional win in the backyard brawl like that. I know it's at home, but just just like you said, I don't think they're going to be able to score enough to keep up with Tennessee. They just want to play too much. Hendon Hooker's too much of a dynamic quarterback, so I, I think I'm going to lean uh, Tennessee here to win the game. Yep, SEC speed this time works out. Yeah, and then next up, this this line's kind of laughable, uh, given the two brands. Alabama at Texas, they're playing the game in Austin, and somehow, some way, Alabama is a twenty point favorite on the road. Yeah, this one's been tough. This one's been tough. Um, I think Texas keeps it close for the first half. I think Alabama runs away with it. I don't know if it's going to be enough to cover, though. Alabama wins 45-28. Texas gets a late touchdown and cover. Okay. Backdoor cover there. Yep. I got I got burned last week. I, I really thought Bo Nix was something better, and Oregon was actually going to keep this game close with Georgia. I was completely wrong. I know what I'm getting from Alabama. I think Texas is too young on the offensive line there, and Quinn Ewers, I don't think he's going to be able to do enough against that front seven and Will Anderson, I think. Will Anderson's going to just live in the backfield all day long with that defense. I like Alabama to cover this game right, and wow. win comfortably. Okay. Then next up, we have Kentucky going to the Swamp. Florida's going to host two home games in a row. Florida is favored by five. Yeah, I actually bet on this one. I'm taking Florida and the points. I like the Gators as well to cover. Yeah, I yep. think Anthony Richardson's going to have another big game as he continues to evolve in Billy Napier's offense. I, I like the Gators there. Yeah, I'm not really sure what all the Will Levis hype is about. You know, he's being touted as like a top 10 draft pick, and I I certainly wouldn't take him there. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not sure. I mean, we we saw him when he was at Penn State. He came in for Sean Clifford yep. uh, in 19 in the shoe, in the rain. I mean, they ran the ball, but it, he wasn't anything special. I've seen him. And, he was good at running it. Yeah. He I mean, played we well. couldn't stop it, really. But I just haven't seen enough from him to make him out to be this top 10 quarterback in the, in the draft, and I'm like, he threw that know. one pass in that game and it got intercepted. Yeah, and then I saw a video of him this offseason putting mayo in his coffee. And I, I, oh, I mean, yeah. I'm, not a, I'm not a coffee guy to begin with, but <laughs> mayo and coffee, I just, that's a huge turnoff for me. So I'm, I'm all don't in on the Gators here. I haven't tried it, but don't knock it till you try it. 
I'm pretty sure I can knock it. But <laughs> <laughs> but uh, USC is favored by nine on the road against Stanford. How do you see that game playing out? They got USC and the points. I don't think Stanford's very good. They haven't been very good for a couple of years. I'm with you. I think Lincoln Riley's out to prove something here, and I think that USC offense is going to put up a lot of points. I think they put up, I think they put up 38 points. Yeah, and they win and cover. Uh, this game actually might be the game of the week here. Baylor and B- at BYU. This game's in Provo. BYU is by far, in my opinion, right now the best group of five team, and they are favored at home by three and a half. Who wins? Man, that's tough. It is. That is really tough. Um, Baylor really surprised me last year. They had a really good year. Dave Miranda's doing some good things in Waco. Man, this is really tough. I, I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take Baylor. I'm gonna take Baylor to win outright on the road at BYU. Um, this prediction will probably come back to bite me. I think BYU is also very good, but Baylor surprised me a few times, and I like the Power Five teams, so I'm, I'm gonna take uh, Baylor on the road. Yeah, Dave, Dave Aranda has impressed me. I'm not a big Baylor guy. I've never been. That's one of those teams I just – I don't know. I'm just not I'm not a big Baylor guy, but I think Baylor is going to win a very close game here in Provo. I, wow, I'm surprised you picked them. So so am I. I. Honestly, I really am. I want to pick BYU. I just feel in my heart of hearts that Dave Aranda is going to have his team ready. And in a year when there's a lot of question marks in his conference, he's got to have this team go coast to coast again. And I think, I think they're going to get a – close win here yeah and then the next game i have on here last one i've got houston at texas tech the red raiders favored by three this game well i did i'll say this i watched houston last week play utsa i did not watch texas tech last week um what i saw from houston wasn't great they really struggled they ended up winning that game but they really struggled had to go into overtime i think it went in like three overtimes um and as such, I'm going to pick Texas Tech. I like the Red Raiders too. I I did I did the same thing as you. I saw Houston play. I think they're going to make this a competitive football game, but it's going to be too much in Lubbock. It's it's tough to play there. And I I think Texas Tech has enough weapons that they can win this game close. I think three is the right number. Yeah. I can see that game being 38, 35, 41, 38. Yeah, somewhere in that vicinity. Like, like Houston had last week, I could definitely see it again this time with a different in-state opponent. And then do you have any upset picks for the week? I kind of hinted at mine earlier. I've got Appalachian State covering against Texas A&M. That's just a dangerous game to me. So I like the mount. I, like I just the, hope Hawaii covers the 50-point spread against Michigan. <laughs> that's, all, that's all I'm looking for this week. That, that would be incredible if they could do that. I, I'm not sure they even have it in them. Michigan's quietly <laughs> one of the better offense in the country. But, yeah, that would be, that would be good to see. You, can't, you don't Rainbow think they cover 50 points? That's a lot of points. I, I think they can because they're going to have two quarterbacks in there. I, I don't think Michigan's worried about it. That, that game's probably going right. to end up being like 48 to three. You know, it's just right. going to be one of right. those like snooze fest games. All right, touchdown, 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 field goal. You know, yeah. Four, 50 points is a lot. 50 is okay. enormous. We'll see. I don't think I've ever seen a spread that high in a, in a college football game between two FBS teams. Yeah, me either. But uh, yeah, Dave, that's all I've got for you tonight, man. All right, man. Good show as always. Looking forward to next week and uh we'll see you guys soon thanks for listening yeah this has been the saturday cadence podcast